Welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Paul Harvey used to famously say that self-government won't work without self-government. We live in a country built not just on a philosophy of the worth of the individual, but also on the strength of our accountable communities, our families, and our churches. Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us part one of this new series entitled, The Church, Your Church, and You which covers Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Thank you for joining us today. We begin a new series today. The series is entitled, The Church, Your Church, and You. I really believe that this particular series could be a defining moment in our personal lives, as well as in the life of our church. Many of you know this is coming upon our 35th anniversary now. And every five years we launch into the next five by vision casting, trying to help people understand this is where we're going over the next five years to kind of get to know your church a little bit better and maybe differently. And so it is my responsibility and my privilege to try to lead a series that's going to take us into several directions all at once. It's going to be a little interesting. We're going to do this in too many messages each week, I think probably every week, maybe some variety, but, but probably every week, the first mini message will be on the church. Then we'll come back after a, a bit of other aspects of worship. We'll come back later in the service and we'll deal with your church and you. It's not the same message split up. It's actually two different directions that I want to go at the same time. I have the strong opinion and believe it is founded well in the truth of history. And I believe scripture bears it out as well. And that is that if we want to be healthy, productive believers, living life as we would want to live life, there's several things that we've got to have that many of us are missing. And one is a high view of the church. And therefore, I want to emphasize the church has nothing to do with our particular church anything going on here, just the church. A second thing that's vitally, vitally important is that every Christian have a healthy, vibrant, impactful, equipping, I could put a hundred words to it, church, local church that you believe in, that you understand, that you are a part of. One of the mentors In my life, Jim Baird, who was here preaching just a few weeks ago. I remember years and years ago, he said, you watch, Randy, you see the people that are good churchmen and you watch the way they walk in maturity in their life. Strong Christians who are not good churchmen, watch, they typically won't be very mature. The local church is very, very important. We need to understand that. I want you to get to know your church. So we'll have a a little bit of time at the end where we'll talk about your church. But we also want to talk about you, you and me as, as we are part of this church, we make it up. I want to help you in your spiritual formation and your development. So there's a third thing that I found vitally important, and that is an intentional life or maybe even family plan. Most of us won't have that right now. 
And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to equip you as a congregation in the same way that I would take a handful of men that I do every year and try to equip them in how to develop their life plan. You're going to have a tool that you're going to be able to pick up. You can go online even right now during the service to perimeter.org slash Pope, and you can see this even now. But you're going to find a handout available to you that's going to have in it a, uh, a copy of the church ministry plan that I'm going to be walking through in peace week by week, little bit by little bit. By the end of this series, you'll understand the plan of your church. This, though, is a guide for you personally to plan for your life and your family. And I'm going to walk through this little bit by little bit each week. At the end of five weeks, I think you're going to be amazed to see the difference that it'll make in your own life to have a thought-through plan for where you're going in life. So the order is tall to figure out how to do that, the way we're going to do it. But uh, I'm going to begin with that first piece right now. And we're going to talk about the church. By the way, before I do, I should ask you, please, if you miss one of the weeks of this series, try to get the podcast or get the CD, whatever you best enjoy. But make sure you make it up because this is going to all work together. No single piece will stand alone on its own. It needs to all fit together. In fact, one of the things that I'm a little bit hesitant, this first piece that I'm going to do on the church, it's not going to be inspiring. It's not meant to be. I think it's going to be helpful if you understand where we're going in the flow of things, but where this will really kick in will be next week. I'm just kind of setting it up for next week. Time doesn't permit me to be able to, to touch it all. So, I want you now to think with me about the church. I want you to understand the importance of the church. And therefore, what I want to do is I want to go through a progression of realities. And you kind of let your mind now engage because you'll lose this because there's a pattern developing. You've got to see this. First of all, I want you to understand that everyone here, every one of us, has a world and life view. It means a way that we see life and the world in which we live. Whether it's a good one, bad one, who knows, but everybody has one. And we fall into one of two categories, every one of us. Either we are theistic in our worldview or we are atheistic. We call it atheist. Meaning we believe in God, theism. We believe in God or we don't. So here we are. We're either theistic or we're atheistic. Now, I assume virtually all of us here would be theistic. There may be none of us here that are atheistic. So we don't, we're not concerned so much about that right now. But what about the theist? If we're a theist, we can be Christian theist or we can be non-Christian theist. It could be either one. Many of us think we're Christian as theist and maybe we're not. Many of us would know we're not Christians. Some of us are absolutely certain, and we are Christians. But either Christian or non-Christian, we're still theists, but we're one of those two. I would imagine the vast majority of us here would say of ourselves, I am a Christian theist. So, okay, as a Christian theist, we've got a Christian world and life view. Well, it may or may not be very Christian. There are people who say, I am a Christian, and some that truly are Christian. But the reality is there is something not working right because 
they either have a biblical or a non-biblical world and life Christian view. And if you have an unbiblical Christian view, then in reality, you do not have a worldview that's going to sustain you in life. Many of our children are believing themselves to be Christians, and maybe they are, but I'll tell you, because we have not in any way really put within them an understanding of what it is to be a biblical world and life view, they're embracing an unbiblical world and life view and assuming as Christians that it's the right way of life. And it really isn't. Therefore, I want to train you and I want to help you in this arena. And building a life plan that we'll do later on as we start that in the latter part of the service is going to build a plan to get you there where you want to be in a biblical world and life view. Now, if you take a biblical world and life view, there are three components, I think, that kind of make up that worldview. One is your view of, of self. How do you view yourself? How do your children view themselves? Uh, do they determine their value and their worth based on how well they perform? Are, are they seeing it from what scripture teaches about who they are in spite of maybe their lack of abilities or their attractiveness or their intellectual capability or whatever it is? How are they really viewing themselves? Do they think they're good people in and of themselves? Or, or do they think, no, they're, they're really sinful and they're in a condition called depraved before God? Oh, where do they, how do they see themselves? It'll make all the difference in the world. There's also the world itself. How do we view the world around us? And then God, how do we see God? Is God truly loving in all things that he does for his people? All the bad things that happen in life, how do we explain those if God is a loving God? You're getting into your world and life view, your understanding of who God is. You give me a group of men and allow me to have the opportunity to invest in them and say, let's get these three straight. Let's understand who you are. Understand who God is. Understand the world in which you live appropriately and watch what happens in your life. You'll be amazed. Absolutely amazed. Now, when you take the world, there's going to be an understanding in a biblical world and life view, there's an understanding that there are two kingdoms that make up the world in which we live. This is going to be the telltale for many of us right here. How do we really view the world in which we live? Do we wake up thinking the realities of two kingdoms, God's kingdom on one hand and then Satan's kingdom on the other, that Christians make up the kingdom known as the kingdom of God? And then that the rest of the peoples of this world are in a different kingdom. And then the question is, well, as, as Christians, what is, it that, what is it that we're to be about? And then we begin to understand as Christians in the kingdom of God, we begin to realize that God has given to us various terms to describe us so that we understand ourselves. We see ourselves correctly. He says, well, you are strangers. You're aliens. Your pilgrims, your citizenship, in fact, is in heaven. And because of that, you really are an ambassador to this world. 
And so this person wakes up every day, very conscious of the reality. Okay, I am in a season, a brief season, passing through this world that is not really mine to make home. I've got a home and it's in the heavenlies. And I've, I've had something done in my life that is so radically different that it's made me now unique to the world in which I've been placed. And I'll tell you this, if you raise children that believe that with all their heart, they think about it, they understand it, you're going to see a different child grow up into adulthood than those who think, you know what, I'm a Christian and I go to church, but life is like everybody else's for me. Let's live life. I tell you what, I don't think you can work through a life plan as we'll do later. You can't work through a life plan and come to that end if you truly understand a biblical world and life view. Now, one other last thing. As we think of ourselves as ambassadors, there are three indispensable resources that God has given to us. One of the spiritual gifts. Second would be the Holy Spirit. And the third would be the church, as you see here outlined. Spiritual gifts, a God-given ability placed within every Christian to enable us to enhance his kingdom on this earth. We've already done a series recently about that. The Holy Spirit, I constantly talk about understanding the power that we have within us because God's spirit indwells us. Then there's thirdly, what we call the visible church, the local church that God has given to us. These three are indispensable resources. The series that we're beginning is to help us understand the church and the role that God has given for it in our lives. Let me explain it this way, and I'll wrap this first piece up. The church is here to protect us, to equip us, to resource us, to train us. We understand that the church is given in order that we might, as ambassadors, as aliens, strangers, pilgrims, whatever you want to call us, so that we can walk into this world and see it as it has been captured by the kingdom of Satan and say, okay, it is our job to do battle with what's called in Scripture the gates of Hades. And we have a promise that the gates of Hades shall never prevail against the church. And that the church is to take itself and literally ram right into the world in which we've been placed. And to make a difference in that world. We become as healers to a a sick and broken world. We become redeemers to people who need redemption in this world. People that are broken. We find our ways to, to help fix them physically, emotionally, and spiritually in every other way. And here we are as Christians, we're on this endeavor to live through life and to say, okay, God, where do you want me to go now? Where's your call on me now? What do you want me to give my attention to? Where do you want me to use my gifts? How can I use the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that which I could never do otherwise? That's the life of the Christian. And for some of us, that may not describe us. Why would that be? I'm going to suggest because unfortunately the church has been imaged wrongly. It's become a commissary for somewhat defecting ambassadors who are no longer representing their king on a mission in this earth in which he's placed us, but have kind of found a place in the world that feels good. And the more we can look like them and the more we can act like them and the more we can have them like us, 
and we fit in. And, but, oh, I want my church because I am a Christian. And I'll go to my church and I'll, I'll get what the church gives me. And, and it's, it's like a commissary. It has good stuff to help me out. It's a whole different understanding of life. It's not a biblical world and life view. I think one of the major causes, and I hope you'll follow this as I'm going. One of the major causes for us being where we are, settling into the world, and not really understanding the church, is something that's been happening in our culture forever and ever, but it's been intensified and in this country in a major way in the last 50 years. It's called individualism. In the 1960s, Something happened big. And I'm not going to walk through all the things that happened that shaped us into this place. But we became a generation known as do your own thing generation. Up until his death in 1980, John Paul Sartre was having a major impact shaping the thinking of the world and the life and the view that people have of those. And basically it was a a teaching about the freedom of human isolation In fact, he quoted, made this famous quote that became so big. Hell is other people. Everything's about self. Figure it out for you. Charles Colson, Chuck Colson recently passed away in his book Against the Night. I think he says it well when he says recognition of the individual affirms respect for human dignity and the uniqueness of each person. While or however... Individualism distorts that joy of identity into an ego cult of one. So what I'm saying is here we come down to understand a world of life view. We have to appreciate the church. And one of the reasons that the church cannot be appreciated too much today is because we are a people who think in terms of individualism. And the church is everything other than that. And so the two are in a a colliding relationship. The truth of it is that the counterforce, maybe a firewall as we might want to call it, to individualism is, and hear this, accountable relationships. Do you hear it? It's accountable relationships. I didn't say relationships. I said accountable relationships. And if you forget everything else, remember this statement. Accountable relationships require a recognized authority i don't know if you follow this but understand that here we've got this problem of individualism and it's corrupting our understanding of the church so that now we're saying oh church i'll go to this church i'll pick that church doesn't matter and i'll go and i'll do it and church is not understood at all the way god intended the church to be known and he says no you need accountable relationships but that requires a recognized authority and so I'm going to stop this portion of the teaching and just tell you that next week I'm going to jump in right here and I'm going to give you a biblical teaching on the authority of the church and it's going to change many of your understanding of how you view the church. But just remember, world and life view, it's critical for you, for me, for our children, absolutely critical. And if you want to have a good biblical world and life view, you better understand two kingdoms. And you need to know that one of those kingdoms is the church.
And that's where God has placed us. And that's where we live. And so let's raise our view of the church. And let's understand who she is. And then we'll have an understanding of Cyprian. The old church father. He says, if God is your father, then the church is your mother. And you know this, you want mama to like you. (laughs) And you want to love your mama. And so we're going to learn about mama. And I hope we're going to fall in love with mama. And we're going to come back to home and understand her as she really is. Now's the time for me to talk for a few minutes about your church and you. And I, I can't help but lay the foundation for you to understand this by just underscoring how important it is to have a plan. Many of us don't live much on plans. Some of us do. But I, have, I think we have to admit that plans are helpful, right? If I were to be a businessman and have an opportunity of investment into this new venture that hopefully is going to make a lot of money. And I believe it will. So I come to you who might have some discretionary monies to invest. And I say to you, would you like to invest in my company? You wouldn't say yes. You'd want to know a little bit about that company. And if I said, well, the company's going to make money, that wouldn't be good enough. You say, well, how are you going to make money? I said, we're going to sell stuff. You're going to finally, at some point, you're going to say, all right, let's forget all this. Can I see your business plan and if the plan looks sufficient then you're going to say okay i will invest if you look at it and say i don't like the plan you're not going to make an investment we believe plans are important i remember i had a a member of this church that i knew very very closely leading one of the major companies of america one of the fastest growing largest companies in america And he comes to me saying, I've got 11 vice presidents coming into Atlanta for a day or two. I'd like to get some exposure with you to them. And in our close relationship and friendship, I said, I'd be happy to do that. He said, now you got to be careful because you can't get religion. This is a publicly traded company. You can't, you know, bring religion in. That would not be, but if there's any way you can, oh, no problem. So I had the opportunity and met with them. And I said, can I begin asking you a question? Do you have a business plan for what you do in your business world? Uh, For 10 minutes, I heard them talk about how vitally important their business plan was to their business. We couldn't have a successful business without our plan. I heard that over and over expressed many ways. And I said, okay, well, then let me ask you this question. How many of you have a life plan? And there were just stares at me. And I said, no, I mean, raise your hand if you have a life plan. Nobody raised their hand. Are you telling me that you believe so much in business that you have to have a plan that you don't think that a life plan would equally help your life? And I said, well, let me ask this. How many of you have families? Nine raised their hand. I said, now, how many of you nine have a family plan? Nobody raised their hand. I said, surely you love your family more than this business. Why would you not have a family plan? It was just stairs. By the way, one of them said, well, can you just tell me what you're talking about like a plan? Oh, what do you mean life plan? I said, well, a life plan basically answers five or six questions. That's all it is. And they said, well, could you tell us those five or six questions? I said, sure. And I'll tell them to you because this is what we're going to walk through over these five weeks. 
And I said, well, first of all, it begins with your purpose. Why do you exist? Or as a family, why do you as a family exist? I said, then you answer the second question, which is basically about your vision for your life. And that's basically, what am I trying to accomplish? All it is, answer the question. You're getting your plan built. What's number three? I said, well, number three is your mission. And that is, how do you plan to go about accomplishing that vision? How are you going to do that? And so, number four, I said, now you got to get your values. And values answer the question, what's most important to me? And so, simply ask, all right, what is most important to you? Now you know your values. And then you can talk about your goals. How do you know if you are accomplishing your vision and mission? You've got to have something to measure it. Here's some goals that will get us in that direction. And then last, if it's about your personal life, you want to have a schedule. And so you say, okay, how will I use my time so as to reach those goals? Simple as that. Well, by the way, when we got to the end of it, somebody says, well, can you like help me? Like, could you just tell me your life plan? I said, you know what? I can't do that. I said, why not? I said, well, you're a publicly traded company and you're either a theist or you're an atheist, you know, in your life plan. And your purpose is one or the other. And I happen to be a theist. And so I have to bring God into it. And you're a publicly traded company. And I really can't do that. And one of them said, you can if we ask you to. <laughs> and I said, is it unanimous, everybody? And they said, yep, go ahead. Well, I gave him the gospel from top to bottom by the time I was finished. So, but the reality is this. <laughs> the reality is this. We need a plan. This is it. That's all you do. You just answer the question. I want to coach you more than that. I, you actually could do it just by taking that. But if you go through the materials, page four and five deal with purpose. And I want to talk to you a minute, not about the church, your church at this point. I'll take one to two minutes and just a few minutes to end it. But I want to just speak to you for a minute. I'd like to do it out of a text of Scripture. It'll be very brief. I'll just read and make a few comments. But if you have your Bibles, to the book of Philippians. If you will go to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to see Paul's life purpose. But I want you to think about purpose in this regard. I want you to imagine that you have one child. A child that is the apple of your eye. A young child. And this child has consumed you. You just, you never knew you could love anything or anyone like you love this child. You happen to be at your place of employment in your office alone and your spouse calls and your spouse in crying that you can't even make out the words. You finally pick up that your child who's been a little sick, took her to the doctor just to see how, you know, if everything's okay. And the doctor has told your spouse that your child has some rare form of cancer and has very little, if any, chance of survival. And you get that word, and you as your spouse now are devastated. By the time you hang up the phone, you don't know where to go, what to do, but you turn to God, and you immediately, without thought, you go to the door and you lock it because you know you're going to pray like you've never prayed before. You find yourself not just hitting your knees, but you are face down on the floor, and you are crying out to God, and you find yourself without thought saying this to God, God, I promise you anything, you name anything, I'll do it, I'll go anywhere, I'll give anything, but please, if you'll just spare my daughter. And about that moment, you feel a hand 
on your shoulder. It startles you knowing you're the only person in your office. And you look up how you know, I'm not sure, but you know, this is an angel sent from God. And that angel says, your heavenly father has heard your request and he is going to grant your petition. But there is one thing you must do to have your child's life spared. And you say anything, what is it? What is it? Well, it's going to sound odd, but you just have to write something on a piece of paper. And you notice that he has a piece of paper and a pen or pencil in hand. And, and he hands it to you and says, you just got to write. You say, when you name it, I'll write it. What is it? Well, it's not that simple. What you've got to write is your life purpose. You've got to write down why you exist. And then your heavenly father will get that piece of paper. But here's the one little issue you've got to keep in mind. What you write is your answer in terms of your purpose being a good one or a bad one is not the real issue. The issue is your honesty in doing it. Because the way it works is this. If you put down a life purpose that's not really your life purpose, your child doesn't live. But if your life purpose is all out of kilter, it's not what it should be, but you're honest and you write it down as it is, not what it should be, but what it is. If you're honest, then your child will live. Imagine that you have that assignment. What would you write on that piece of paper? What would you put down? That's the first part of getting a life purpose. You have to wrestle with the reality. What is your purpose? Now, in this chapter, chapter one, we're going to learn that Paul had a life purpose. His purpose is found in verses 20 and 21. So if you look if you look at the uh, scripture or your screens, either one, let me read this to you. It says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Do you know the truth of it is that when you write your life purpose, there's only two purposes. You could, you could express it a hundred different ways, but there's really just two purposes in life. One is a temporal life purpose, and the other is an eternal life purpose. That's only two you could have. The truth of it is, is that when I used to counsel years ago, I met with untold numbers of couples that were in marital dispute, maybe to the point of divorce. One would come up to me. They come up to me and I'd say, what can I do? Well, we're just at, uh, we both want a divorce. We want out of this thing. This is no good. We don't like each other. It's all over. I say, well, uh, let me ask you, are you Christians? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay. But let me ask you this question before we go any further. Just what do you want out of life? I mean, why do you exist? What, what do you want more than anything in life? And I'll ask both parties and hear the same exact answer in this kind of selfless manner to say, you know what? I don't want much in life. I don't care about money and material and all that stuff. I don't really care. All I want to do is to be happy. And I can't be happy with him. I'll guarantee you there's no way to be happy with him. Oh, okay. How about you? And he says, well, you know, I'm, I'd like to have a little money. I'd like to have a little this. But, you know, mainly all I'm looking forward to, I just want to be happy. I'll tell you what, I can't be happy with her. No way with this lady. And my advice to them, I say, you know, if I were you, I think I'd just go ahead and divorce. If that's my answer, I just, you might as well, you're going to get divorced anyway. 
because you're not making each other happy. And you know what? There's probably no way I could help you make each other happy. On the other hand, I've got a little concern, and that is that you say you're a Christian and you're all about being happy. Have you ever thought about the idea of glorifying God? That's what the life purpose should be, is to glorify God. You know the irony of it? People who try to find happiness don't find happiness. When people seek to glorify God, they find happiness. That's why in the Westminster Confession, as we get to the catechisms, it begins, what's man's chief end? And man's chief end is to glorify God, but it doesn't stop there. It says, and enjoy him forever. That's where it comes from. And I say to them, now, if you want to glorify God, you could have a good marriage. But I'll tell you this, if your view is just simply, I want to be happy and I've got to find happiness through how it ain't going to happen. Tell you that. Well, if you look at, if you look at his life purpose, Paul is basically saying to live or to die is not an issue to me. What I basically want to do is I want to live for him, for his glory. Now, what we're going to learn in this first chapter, by just reading a a few verses here, you're going to see two things that are true of your life purpose, what it's going to do. This is why life purpose is so important for you and for you to teach your children. The life purpose is going to do two things. It's going to determine how you view your life problems. And number two, how you make life decisions. Those two. Let's look at them in Paul's experience. First about how he views his life problems. Keep in mind, he is in prison in Philippi. It says in verse 12, if you just go up to verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Well, he's in prison. And to hear him talking about joy. You know, it's like the whole book, by the way, is about joy. 16 times he talks about joy. He's in prison. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I understand this, that I'm here to glorify God. And my problem being in prison is actually causing me to glorify God more than I could being outside the prison. Hey, I'll go into prison. I think it's a better place to be if that be the case. Though, you know, he hated it. You see, I think he learned this as many of us are fighting to learn. Many of us stand here and we're, we're kind of glad that we, we understand the sovereignty of God. And therefore we say, and you know what? I believe that God allows bad things to happen to me. Where so many people, they don't understand. Oh no, God would No, I understand that. God allows bad things to happen to me. Let me tell you folks, you don't want to end there. You want to step over to this second position and you say, no, I believe that God allows bad things to happen to me in order that good things can happen in me. That's James chapter 1. Consider it joy when you encounter trials, knowing, and he talks about how it produces you into a, a great person. Okay, that's still not good enough. Paul has come over here to this third station, and he's saying, no, I believe that God allows bad things to happen to me in order that good things can happen in me, in order that eternal things can happen through me. You see, he's an alien, a stranger, a pilgrim. He's just passing through. 
He loved to get back home. We're going to see that in the next verses. He loved to get back home. But he says, you know what? I'm all about the pilgrimage, a call that God has placed on my life. And you know what? If problems accentuate that call and effectiveness, I'll take them. And then we have to ask ourselves the question, what's our prison? We're all got a prison. Are we in relational prisons? Are we in physical prisons because of our body breaking down? Is it financial prison? We don't have enough money. And what do we do? Well, we look to our life purpose. And if we really hang on to an eternal life purpose to glorify God, or however you want to say it, boy, it's a whole different way we see our life problems. But lastly, there is the second, and that is this life purpose, it will determine how we make life decisions. Look at their text after his life purpose statement beginning in verse 22 it says but if i am to live on in the flesh that will mean fruitful labor for me i don't know which to choose i'm hard pressed from both directions having the desire to depart and be with christ that's very much better yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Do you get the idea there that that what he's saying is that I don't want to stay in this earth. I want to get home to my heavenly relationship there. I, I want to be through with my task here on earth. He's not suicidal, but he's saying, I just want to go and be with my Jesus. But he says, you know what? I'm going to choose to do something other than what I want to do because I do believe that it's impacted by my life purpose. And you just sense he's on a call. He's doing something. He's in this journey. He's in this pilgrimage on earth. And he says, I know you want me to stay along here, Lord. So instead of going back to Jerusalem, if I get out of prison and get stoned and get to go to heaven immediately, I'll watch and I won't go there. I'll go this way and I'll do that and I'll watch myself. That's all he's saying. You know, I, uh, I can only imagine how many life decisions right now are being made outside of life purpose to glorify God. Some of you kids are going off to college. You're choosing roommates. You're choosing what kind of activities you're going to be a part of, what kind of people you're going to hang with. I'll tell you this, your life purpose will dictate your life decision. It will. Some of us are... In positions right now, trying to decide, do I take a job? Do I not take a job? Do I do this? Do I marry this person? Do I not? All these life decisions, you go back. Do you glorify God? I have a dear friend. Years ago, he was in the worst of circumstances. And I mean the worst of circumstances. Life was miserable for this person. And he knew he could make a decision and get out of those circumstances. And he called me one day and he said, you're the only person I'm telling this to, but I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to make the decision to do that. And he was going to actually do the wrong thing according to the scriptures. And he said, I just can't take any, I've had enough and it's over. And that's that. I'll never forget. My response to him was to simply say, Jim, can I ask you a question? What is your life purpose? Would you state it for me? Because I knew he had a life plan. I knew he'd work through his purpose. And I said, can you tell me your life? Can you tell me your life purpose? And he said, well, it's to glorify God and to enjoy him. And my only response was to say, well, Jim, I think either you have to change your life purpose 
or you have to change your decision. Because the two are not going together at all. And you know, he made the right decision. And to this day, I know he is so glad he did. He chose to glorify God, an ultimate way to true happiness. Well, I'm going to ask you, if you will, to do something very important. I'm going to ask you to take 30 minutes a week. That's all I'm asking. If you make this your church, member or not, would you please commit to 30 minutes per week? That's not much time. Take this little instrument that I'm giving you and work through. This time, it's just page five, four and five. Read a little page four and then just the little page. It won't take you long at all. And begin the process of life planning. Do it for yourself. Maybe do another one for your family. And I'm going to ask you to do this before you ever, ever, ever go to that job. You go to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, until you embrace the cross, you'll never have the means to embrace an eternal life plan. And therefore, would you go to the cross and look at what he's done for you? Think about his love for you. And then pretend that that little angel had tapped you on the shoulder. And you write out on that page five, this is my purpose now. And then go down to the next slide and say, this is what I want my purpose to be. Say it any way you want. Use the words to glorify God and joy. It doesn't matter. But make sure it's an eternal life purpose. And that's when you go before the Lord and you say, God, now you empower me by your spirit. Empower me that I can move in this direction and ask him that over five weeks that God would take you to a whole new place of living intentional about your plan. One last word, and that is about your church, not the church, but your church called perimeter. I want you to know that this church without question has embraced in its leadership, the purpose to glorify God and to enjoy him. And I can say with all the confidence in the world that if our leadership in this church knows that we could get much bigger, we could have a lot more finances, whatever it may be, by simply compromising the truth or even just dumbing it down a little bit. Or if we could get it by simply replacing worship, true worship, we could, we could replace that with some better entertainment. And you know what? Crowds would grow and we'd say, Mm-mm, not doing it. You know why? Because it's going to impact the decision. We're not going to do that because our purpose is to glorify God. Or if on the other hand, we believe, you know, if we, uh, if we quit partnering with other people and just, and just put all of our attention here with us instead of trying to help partners and all that they're doing. And, or, or this planting of churches, taking resources and monies and people out from our church and whatever. If we thought, if we thought, that, boy, look what we could do to get all this that we would like to have as a church, if we quit, we wouldn't stop those things. We wouldn't quit helping the poor and doing the things we're doing in the community because simply it doesn't come back here. Why? Because it's, it doesn't glorify God. It's going to drive your church. I want you to know that much. That is something you can count on. This church exists to glorify God and to enjoy him. I wonder what you're going to do. You're going to take this exercise and be serious about it. Watch what happens. But I believe what's going to happen is we're going to have a higher view of the church. 
Next thing you know, we're going to appreciate where our church is going. Understanding it all the better. And we're going to have a plan, an intentional plan to get us where God wants us to go. Let's pray to that end. Let's bow. Father in heaven, grant us that on this day, you would hear us say, it is my intention to fall in love with the church. And to come to the place to learn and understand about my church. And inviting you, take me on a pilgrimage through this life plan. May my family be stronger. May I personally be stronger because I have followed through. Granted, we pray, may we see your love from the cross. And may it cause us to fall in love with you. For we ask it in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the Media Resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.